there is only one side to take in the so-called conflict between Israel and Palestine. The Palestinian issue has long occupied a place in the South African consciousness far greater than geographic, economic or political considerations appear to merit. Parallels with the South African national experience have inspired an emotional connection with Palestine that has inspired activism in the region up to the present day, even resulting in the South African government severing ties with the Israeli government. It's no surprise because the Israeli government supported the apartheid regime, only changing its tune when the writing was on the wall that the National Party was losing support on the international stage. Many Israelis recoil at the suggestion that their country, risen from the ashes of genocide and built on Zionist ideals, could be compared to a racist regime. Yet, for years, the Israeli state supported that the bulk of South Africa's Jewish people, Jewish people who were under apartheid considered white, not only failed to challenge the apartheid system, but benefited and thrived under its protection, even if some figured prominently in the liberation movement, like Helen Sussman. In time, the Israeli government too set aside objections to a regime whose leaders had once been admirers of Adolf Hitler and found commonality within the tenets of Zionism and Afrikaner nationalism. Within three decades of its birth, Israel's self-proclaimed purity of arms, what it describes as the moral superiority of its soldiers, was secretly sacrificed as the fate of the ethnostate became so intertwined with South Africa that the Israeli security establishment came to believe that the relationship saved the state of Israel. While anti-Semitism lingered among white nationalists in South Africa, solidarity between Zionists and the apartheid regime was founded in that Zionists claim that they are the chosen people, the elect of God, and find a biblical justification for their racism and Zionist exclusivity. This is much like the Afrikaners of apartheid South Africa, who also had the biblical notion that the land was their God-given right. Like the Zionists who claimed that Palestine in the 1940s was a land without people for a people without land, so the Afrikaner settlers spread the myth that there were no black people in South Africa when they first settled in the 17th century. They conquered by force of arms and terror and the provocation of a series of bloody colonial wars of conquest. Former South African Prime Minister John Forster once said that Israel and South Africa have one thing above all else in common. They are both situated in a predominantly hostile world inhabited by dark peoples. By the 1980s, Israel and South Africa echoed each other in justifying the domination of other peoples. Both said that their own peoples faced annihilation from external forces, in South Africa by black African governments and communism, and in Israel by Arab states and Islam. The parallels between the two states and their apartheid policies are stark and highly evident, but let's go further back a bit. The Balfour Declaration, which resulted in a significant upheaval in the lives of Palestinians, was issued on the 2nd of November in 1917. The declaration turned the Zionist aim of establishing a Jewish state in Palestine into a reality when Britain publicly pledged to establish a national home for the Jewish people there. The pledge is generally viewed as one of the main catalysts of Al-Nakba, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine in 1948 and the conflict that ensued with the Zionist state of Israel. Apartheid is a violation of public international law, a grave violation of internationally protected human rights and a crime against humanity under international criminal law. The term apartheid was originally used to refer to the political system here in South Africa, which explicitly enforced racial segregation and the domination and oppression of one racial group by another through institutionalized means and restricting the existence of the oppressed. 
It has since been adopted by the international community to condemn and criminalize such systems and practices wherever they occur in the world. The crime against humanity of apartheid under the Apartheid Convention, the Rome Statute and customary international law is committed when any inhuman or inhumane act is perpetrated in the context of an institutionalized regime of systemic oppression and domination by one racial group over another, with the intention to grow and maintain that system. Apartheid can be best understood as a system of prolonged and cruel discriminatory treatment by one group of members over another with the intention to control the second group. There is only one side to take. The declaration made by Britain's then Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour was made during World War I and was included in the terms of the British Mandate for Palestine after the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire that transferred rule from the territories that were previously controlled by the powers defeated in the war, that was Germany and Austria-Hungary, the Ottoman Empire and Bulgaria, to the victors. The declared aim of the mandate system was to allow the winners of the war to administer the newly emerging states until they could become independent. However, it meant Palestine essentially would come under British occupation and the Palestinians who lived there would not gain independence, contrary to the mandate. The so-called mandate system, set up by the Allied powers, was a thinly veiled form of colonialism and occupation. Upon the start of the mandate, the British began to facilitate the immigration of European Jewish people to Palestine, which according to Palestinian British academic Edward Said, was a move made by a European power about a non-European territory in a flat disregard of both the presence and the wishes of the native majority resident in that territory. The use of the vague term national home for the Jewish people as opposed to state left the meaning open to interpretation. Earlier drafts of the document used the phrase the reconstitution of Palestine as a Jewish state, but that was later changed. In 1922, however, Balfour and then Prime Minister David Lloyd George reportedly said the Balfour Declaration always meant an eventual Jewish state. Going back even further, in 1799, during the French invasion of the Arab world, Napoleon Bonaparte issued a proclamation offering Palestine as a homeland to Jewish people under France's protection. This was also a way to establish a French presence in the region. Napoleon's vision of a Jewish state in the Middle East did not materialize at the time, but nor did the idea die. There is only one side to take. Fast forward to May 1948, 75 years ago, and we have Al-Nakba. On the 15th of May, the State of Israel came into being in a violent process that entailed the forced expulsion of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their homeland to establish a Jewish-majority state, as per the aspirations of the Zionist movement. Between 1947 and 1949, at least 750,000 Palestinians from a population of 1.9 million were made refugees beyond the borders of their indigenous state. Zionist forces had taken over 78% of historic Palestine, ethnically cleansed and destroyed about 530 villages and cities, and killed about 15,000 Palestinians in a series of mass atrocities, including more than 70 massacres. Al-Nakba, or the catastrophe, refers not just to the ethnic cleansing of Palestine and the near-total destruction of Palestinian society in 1948. It is an ongoing Palestinian experience of dispossession and loss of homeland, that has continued to this day and is escalating in Gaza right now.
Though the 15th of May 1948 became the official day for commemorating al-Nakba, armed Zionist groups had launched the process of displacement of Palestinians much earlier. In fact, by the 15th of May, half the total number of Palestinian refugees had already been forcefully expelled from their country. Before 1948, 9,000 Palestinians were put in concentration camps and subjected to violent interrogation and torture. At least 2,000 Palestinian homes were destroyed after the 1936 Arab Revolt, in which Palestinians launched a large-scale uprising against the British and their support for Zionist settler colonialism. The British authorities violently crashed the revolt, which lasted until 1939. In 1944, several Zionist armed groups declared war on Britain for trying to put limits on Jewish immigration to Palestine at a time when Jewish people were fleeing the Holocaust after the Second World War. The British ended its occupation and handed over the mess that they created in Palestine to the United Nations, which then adopted Resolution 181, recommending the partition of Palestine into Jewish and Arab states, in 1947, after which Al-Nakba took place. Israeli official statements and many accounts from Zionist supporters have long claimed that the 1948 Nakba was instigated by the invading Arab armies who ordered Palestinian civilians to evacuate the battle zone in order to allow the Arab army's freedom to operate. Israel officially denies any responsibility for Palestinian displacement, stating that the exodus of 1948 was caused by the Arab invasion alone. However, the Israeli state's adamance in refusing Palestinian refugees the right to return spells inconsistency. There is only one side to take. Since 1948, the UN, as well as Palestinian supporters, have consistently called upon Israel to facilitate the return of Palestinian refugees and provide reparations. Despite these repeated appeals, Palestinian refugees have been systematically denied their right to return and have been forced to live in exile under precarious and vulnerable conditions outside the borders of the home to which they are indigenous. The right of return constitutes a fundamental pillar of the Palestinian people's rights to self-determination. The fragmentation of the Palestinian people, both geographically and politically, through administrative methods of control based on residency and race, tantamount to apartheid, and has obstructed the realization of the right to return and self-determination. These practices serve the settler colonial project pursued by Israel. Objectors to Palestinian right of return contend that such a right would destroy Israel as a Jewish state, as it would leave Jewish people in a minority in Israel. <laughs> In a two-state solution framework, this would leave Israel as a binational state with a Jewish minority and an additional Palestinian state. Israelis see this demand as inherently contradicting the two-states-for-two-people solution, and this has caused many Israelis to believe Israel-Palestinian peace is not possible. In May 1948, Israel was admitted into the UN, despite the international body saying it rallies for Palestinian rights, and Israel's grip over historic Palestine was consolidated. The remaining Palestinian land became known as the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Just this week, Israel's warning to an estimated 1.1 million residents of North Gaza to leave their homes within 24 hours has sparked international anger, with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas stating that the Palestinian people might be facing a repeat of 1948's Nakba. This time, it's different though. The Palestinian struggle for equality and freedom has reached a new and radical stage, and in the face of Israel's most recent assault on their rights and their lives in occupied East Jerusalem and Gaza, 
the Palestinians not only demonstrated unprecedented courage and unity, but also embarked on a landmark general strike, the first in decades. While the Islamist group Hamas has been used as a scapegoat for Israel's strikes on Palestine, several decades of Israeli violence have left the Palestinians more isolated than ever before by equating Palestinian statehood with Hamas's retaliation to Israeli occupation and attacks. It is de rigueur to note that the power asymmetry between Israel and the Palestinians means that the former bears much more responsibility for the ongoing violence. This is true. Nonviolent resistance has been met with bullets, boycott efforts in the US and elsewhere have been criminalized. Social media is muting all criticisms of Israel and Zionism. Just a side note. Opposing Hamas and the targeting of Israeli civilians is perfectly compatible with the politic highly critical of the right-wing government of Jerusalem, being opposed to the settlement project in the West Bank and being supportive of Palestinian rights, aspirations and dignity. I am against any and all states being tied to one religion. For context, Hamas was formed in 1987 at the start of the Intifada, or uprising against Israel. It is an offshoot of a transnational Sunni Islamist group that first formed in Egypt. Hamas, the Arabic acronym for Islamic Resistance Movement, wants to create a Palestinian state, which all of us do as well. It rejects any peace deal with Israel, which it refuses to recognize. It's considered a terrorist organization by Israel, the US, and a number of other Western countries. While I don't think it is a terrorist organization, I am for the separation of church and state in every way, and I do support the Hamas stance of not recognizing Israel as a legitimate state, and I am not opposed to retaliation to violence by Israel. Therefore, my relationship, or my understanding of Hamas, is a little bit complex. There is only one side to take. Human rights have long been sidelined by the international community when dealing with the decades-long struggle and suffering of Palestinians. Palestinians facing the brutality of Israel's repression have been calling for an understanding of Israel's rule as apartheid for over two decades. Over time, a broader international recognition of Israel's treatment of Palestinians as apartheid has begun to take shape. Yet governments with the responsibility and power to do something have refused to take any meaningful action to hold Israel accountable. Instead, they have been, at best, hiding behind a moribund peace protest at the expense of human rights and accountability, and at worst, as is the case of the US, been supporting the eradication of Palestine through military funding and overall financial and ideological support. Unfortunately, the situation today is one of no progress towards a just solution and worsening human rights for Palestinians. The more than 3 million Palestinians living in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem and over 2 million in Gaza face home demolitions, arbitrary arrests and displacement as Israel expands the 100-plus Jewish-only colonies and steals Palestinian land to do so. Palestinian movement is restricted by military checkpoints and the separation wall has obstructed their ability to travel freely. The Gaza Strip has been under Israeli siege for more than a decade, whereby Israel controls their airspace, sea and borders. The Strip has also witnessed three Israeli assaults that have made the area close to uninhabitable. Within Israel, the 1.8 million Palestinians face daily oppression, where rights groups have recorded some 50 laws that discriminate against them for not being Jewish, and they are not allowed to commemorate some holy days. Since 1948, some 1 million Palestinians have been arrested by Israel, according to the Palestinian Central Bureau of Statistics. 
Additionally, some 100,000 Palestinian homes have been demolished, not including the events of the Nakba or the Gaza Wars. Journalists from outside Palestine who covered the situation in occupied spaces have been targeted, arrested, and some even killed. Today, there are about 7.98 million Palestinian refugees and internally displaced persons who have not been able to return to their original homes and villages. Some 6.14 million of those are refugees and their descendants beyond the borders of the state. Many live in some of the worst conditions in more than 50 refugee camps run by the UN in neighboring countries. Despite this lived reality, leading Western media organizations are still covering Israel-Palestine with an undeniable pro-Israel bias and refusing to acknowledge Israel's apartheid, war crimes and crimes against humanity. From an architect's perspective, you can spot apartheid by looking at the fabric of the land. You can also spot apartheid simply by looking at Israel's building codes, such as implementing red roofs for Israeli citizens. Israeli occupational forces don't want to accidentally drone strike one of their own, so the red roofs are identifiers between who's Palestinian and who's a settler. Another disturbing feature in the architectural realm is the number of checkpoints. There are around 638 temporary checkpoints and 129 permanent checkpoints for Palestinians to go through every single day. One of the most brutal is Checkpoint 300 in Bethlehem, with an average wait time of 7 hours, which over 60,000 Palestinians are required to go through each day. Gaza used to have an airport that opened in 1998 called the Yasser Arafat International Airport. The Israeli government bombed the airport into oblivion and it was forced to close in 2001, making it impossible to leave or re-enter the country by air. Of the 2.2 million Palestinians in Gaza, their median age is only 18 years old. 50% of their population is under 15 years old, and about 65% of the population is under 25 years old. These are the people going against the fully kitted out army of Israel. 97% of the water is undrinkable, and it takes the Israeli government an average of 15 years to build a single water well in Gaza. As of 2014, the apartheid state has destroyed over 215 water wells. Palestinians are living under a genocidal apartheid state. They don't have the freedom of movement on their own land. They do not have the right to build their own shelters on their own land. They do not have the right to farm on their own land. They cannot breathe in free air and yet people say they condemn or condone both sides, which is the settler colonial equivalent of all lives matter. It is not inherently more violent to respond to violence with violence. There is only one side to take. There is a cultural, emotional and political shift on Palestine and it's partly due to the highly influential Black Lives Matter and Me Too movements, which highlighted the intersectionality of social justice issues, from racism and gender discrimination to colonial oppression. Now that younger people overwhelmingly see the Palestinian struggle as a crucial part of their efforts to achieve decolonization, reparations, justice, equality and freedom for all, it is logical to assume that voices in support of Palestine are only going to become louder and more influential in the coming years. Of the 193 member states of the United Nations, 138 have recognized the state of Palestine as of July 2019. Countries outside of the formerly colonized nations that support Palestine include Sweden and Iceland, with Norway promising to recognize Palestine as a state. But most first world countries either sit on the fence or lend conditional support. 
The history of colonialism and economic dependency means that many people, such as the population of Barbados, would like to recognize and support the state of Palestine. But financially, these countries are tied to the U.S., and we all know how that would go if they don't toe the line. Despite Israel being an ethnostate of Jewish people, Zionism is not Judaism. Anti-Semitism has been around for centuries, with the Jewish people having faced countless pogroms and the Holocaust. However, claiming that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic uses Jewish suffering to erase the Palestinian experience and equates a peaceful and deeply spiritual faith with the belief that requires the eradication of the Palestinian people, shielding Israel from any accountability for its oppression. Yes, anti-Semitism is rife and is still growing. Yes, world leaders must fight it fiercely. Creating an ethnostate that is rooted in the genocide of other people in order for a state to exist is barbaric, and the cry of anti-Semitism is a weaponization of something very real to justify the extermination of Palestine while shutting down any criticism thereof in a disingenuous attempt to flatten the beauty of Jewish culture and identity alongside poorly veiled anti-Palestinian racism. The Israeli government wants to define anti-Zionism as bigotry because doing so helps Israel kill the two-state solution or any form of coexistence with impunity. Claiming anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism limits Palestinians' ability to resist their own oppression and misdirects Jewish people's efforts to dismantle real anti-Semitism. It also distracts from the real work we all need to do to fight racism and anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is prejudice against Jewish people based on their heritage or beliefs, while anti-Zionism opposes the political ideology of Zionism and the establishment of a Jewish state in the historic land of Israel. These are two distinct concepts. Early Zionists amalgamated many aspects of European fascism, white supremacy, colonialism, and messianic evangelism, and has a long and sordid history of cooperating with anti-Semites, imperialists, and fascists in order to promote its exclusivist and expansionist agenda. Throughout the past century, anti-Semites and Zionists have worked together towards the mutual interests of concentrating Jewish people in Israel the former as a means of scapegoating and expelling an unwanted population, and the latter to combat the demographic threat posed by Palestinians. After his declaration was drawn up, Balfour famously said himself that Zionism would mitigate the age-long miseries created for Western civilization by the presence in its midst of a body, the Jewish people, which it regarded as alien and even hostile, but which it was equally unable to expel or absorb. Basically, those who fear homogenizing globalism admire Israel for preserving Jewish identity while yearning to preserve the West's Christian identity in ways that exclude Jewish people. In a similar fashion to other fascist anti-Semitic regimes, Israel has never tolerated dissident voices, targeting Jewish anti-Zionists through its history. In fact, anti-Zionists were targeted from before the foundation of the State of Israel. Today, Jewish pro-Palestinian activists who support the BDS movement are detained, punished or even deported. Both anti-Semitic people and Zionists construct Jewish as a biological race, which needs to be segregated as part of a utopia of global apartheid. Zionism is a racist and settler-colonialist movement, which opportunistically co-opts the aspects of Judaism that they want in an attempt to justify criminal practices of apartheid and genocide of indigenous Palestinians. White supremacy is dominant within Israeli society, which privileges white-skinned Ashkenazi Jewish people at the expense of dark-skinned African, Shepardi and Mizrahi Jewish people, as well as African refugees. Black Jewish communities are often denied recognition by Israeli authorities, with some members even being deported back to Africa. 
While Zionism is inherently racist and anti-Semitic to its core, it is also anti-Semitic to assume that all Jewish people are Zionists, and it is definitely anti-Semitic to invoke Nazism to support Palestine. I don't need to explain why. The existence of Israel is a reminder that empire prevails. Israel standing alone as a settler colony in the previously colonized Middle East stands as a representative of empire and a reminder of colonial victory, refusing to assimilate, refuses integration, and refuses acknowledgement of indigenous languages, practices, and traditions. Palestinians are being eradicated systematically and systemically, and so is their way of living, culture, literature, social coexistence, and history. The traits of colonization and genocide don't only include killing entire populations, excluding them from spaces where their homes once stood. It includes erasure of all aspects about them, including evidence of the people ever having existed, much like libraries, universities and places of worship and social congregation being destroyed. Baked into the framework of a state that has occupied another is the idea of ethnic, religious and cultural superiority. This is a form of fascism that requires the complete demolishing and burial of culture, language, and all other aspects that identify people as a collective. It's what was happening in apartheid South Africa, where so many cultures and languages have died due to colonization. In India, where the Portuguese destroyed temples, using thousands of year old statues as target practice. In Mexico and other Hispanic countries, where Spanish replaced the historic languages. In North America, where some of the First Nations people were entirely wiped out and practices destroyed. And in Australia, where the indigenous people were literally hunted for sport. Imperialism's face is not only British. Israel is the symbolic bastion of colonial thought, sentiment and action. A physical reminder to the global south that we are not safe from imperialism. We never have been and we probably never will be. An imperialist colonialist project in its very essence, from its inception to current execution. Jerusalem means the house of peace, and the house of peace has not known peace for over a century. Colonialism requires a constant disruption and exploitation of people for their beliefs to stand. As long as Palestinians and their supporters keep resisting, though, this reality will hopefully be known to people all over the world. There is no humanity in destroying people. Let's hope that throwing stones at rockets will no longer be needed. There is only one side to take, and it's very clear which one it is. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. <laughs>